Mm. Well, uh, as we look to uh, Luke chapter 17 this morning, um, by the way, for those of you that were here just a few moments earlier, John 17 is a beautiful, beautiful chapter to work through. Please feel free to do that. It's the prayer of Jesus, and it's, uh, it's a beautiful Beautiful thing. But when we look at uh, the Gospel of Luke and preaching through it as we are, you can always read ahead. You can always find out what <laughs> the preacher's going to be talking about next Sunday or a few Sundays down the road. Well, um, we're looking here at, at Luke chapter uh, 17. Uh, the disciples are going to be addressed in this next passage. And we have just focused at the end of 16, on the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. Their love of money was a hidden sin that God could see. They wanted to get away with loving both God and mammon, and they were hiding their actual heart's desire for money um, behind this religious facade. And it was causing people to stumble in their in their faith because what they saw and what they observed in the Pharisees as an example, a model to follow, didn't fit with God's desire to reach to the poor and help the poor and uh, to invest in them. So he told this story, if you remember from last week, about a certain rich man and then this poor man that the dogs, his name was Lazarus, that the dogs would lick his wounds, and he longed to eat leftovers from the, from the rich man's table, something that the dogs were given. And so this man's life was considered uh, even less than a dog. Well, in that story, it is very easy if somebody just looks at that parable and again, I'm not sure whether it's a parable or whether it's something that actually happened that Jesus is speaking about. He doesn't say that it's a parable. And so I know that there is amongst scholars that discussion. My dad actually believed it was a real event. And uh, others that I have read here recently are convinced that it's a parable. I don't know that it matters one way or the other, to be honest, because what's really important is the events that Jesus spoke about. Now, what could really easily happen is that we would say Lazarus was the victim. And because he was poor and he was a victim, that's why he ended up in Abraham's bosom. So the recompense for being poor and rejected can easily be translated to say, well, anybody in that kind of a situation then has immediate access to God. And that would be a fallacy. Um, and so Jesus turns around immediately after telling the Pharisees and exposing the hidden sins of their hearts to turn around and addresses the disciples. And that's where we are in chapter 17, and we'll begin at verse 1 and read the first uh, 10 verses of chapter 17. And he, that's Jesus, said to his disciples, 
It is inevitable that stumbling blocks should come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than he should cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and repents and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. But which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourselves and serve me until I have eaten and drunk and afterward you can eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all these things which are commanded to you, say, we are unworthy slaves, we have done only that which we ought to have done. Father, add your blessing to this reading, I pray in Jesus' name. Well, I struggle with this one again. I I think at the beginning of each week, when I sit down and I start to read it, things that I have assumed in the past suddenly don't seem as clear to me as they were. And I started to read this, and I thought, this is not really a very comforting passage for the disciples. And um, they seem to be disjointed things that he's talking to them about. And so I had to sit down and say, what is it about this passage, and why does it follow this instruction that he, that this encounter that he had with the Pharisees? And what is it that he's wanting to teach the disciples about? And there's four things that come up. The first one is there is a necessity or it is something that is inevitable that will come into life. The first one is stumbling blocks. The second thing is that there is a critical need for forgiveness. And the third thing is that He deals with, um, in the the process here, he deals with the power of faith. And the third one is the attitude of service. And those four things make up four key um, virtues in the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus is turning away from the Pharisees who have a form of godliness, deny its power, because they have mixed worldly things with godly things, spiritual things. They have placed their heart's desire for money above God's word and God's, and, and God's people. And that is something that they were called upon to protect. And they weren't doing it. 
And so Jesus looks at them and basically has said, these Pharisees are a stumbling block to the people in the nation of Israel. They're not fulfilling God's purpose and call for the people or the nation which God entrusted to them. They are a stumbling block. The word stumbling block is also used later on when it talks about the cross and the message of the cross. When we talk about Jesus who dies on the cross to take upon himself the sins of mankind, is, is, he dies and is buried and rises again. He is, he is uh, victorious over sin. He's victorious over death. He's victorious over the devil. He has defeated the devil and his power and he rises above. It says that this message is a stumbling block to Jews. So you have two different kinds of stumbling blocks that are present. And then the question that comes to the disciples, he says, when you come into life, you know that here you have people who claim to be religious, don't have the reality. It is a stumbling block if you follow them. On the other hand, he's preparing them for the time when he gets to Jerusalem, and we know what's going to happen in Jerusalem, that Jesus is going to be betrayed. And in that process, his whole life becomes a stumbling block to people like the Pharisees. And the question is, is this the rock that we want to stumble over or which stumbling block are we going to take in our lives because the stumbling block is going to be there. It's a necessity. Why is it a necessity? That's an interesting question to me. Why does Jesus say it's necessary, it's important, or you, you, you cannot avoid this in life? There will be stumbling blocks. Well, I know one thing's for sure, that there certainly are in my lifetime, I've gone through enough stumbling blocks. And I'm sure you could all say amen. <laughs> this is something that was a real struggle for me to deal with in my life and to understand God's purpose in it. And there's a reason why God has those happening, so that our faith doesn't rest upon things that we know, but it rests upon who we believe in and who we trust is faithful to all of his promises. There's going to be a dividing line between those that are seemingly religious on the outside and those who in their hearts have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. There's going to be a difference. One's not, neither one is perfect. Don't get me wrong. Being a Christian is not about perfection. Being a Christian is about being forgiven and knowing who's my Lord and who is my Savior and walking with life in Him. That's, that's the critical aspect. And so what Jesus does, not only to say, there is going to be issues of stumbling. There's only one way that you're going to manage to survive in a world where there are stumbling blocks. Because those stumbling blocks are not actually pieces of concrete or stones that are in the way that we fall over. 
They are people. They are thoughts. They are, they are positions that politicians may take. Who knows what they all are? But what they are, are there things that we struggle with, events in our lives that we struggle with that cause us to consider, are we really following God or not? And we all come up with these things. Don't, don't be surprised when they happen. So Jesus is warning the disciples right from the start, there's going to be these things. And the way that you deal with them is in forgiveness. The issue is what is the nature and the character of God who has created this perfect law that if you live by it, it, it brings glory to him, it, 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 it reveals who he is, it fills our lives with joy and understanding and purpose. And it's exciting when we are thrilled by the law of God, but who can keep it? There's not one of us, not one. And so the other side of God is not only that the law tells me and shows me the majesty and the glory, the beauty of who God is, it also shows me the other side of God who is a loving God full of grace and mercy and an eagerness to forgive. If you don't have grace and mercy and forgiveness, there is no way that you could possibly get to know God in all of his glory and majesty. Because we've all sinned. And we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. None of us is perfect. And that is the core of both the heart, the loving heart of a father, is that his desire is to forgive anyone who comes to him. How often does God have to forgive us for the sins that we keep repeating? <laughs> Oops. Think about that. We know that it's wrong, and we do it again. <laughs> And we come back and we say, oh God. And we begin to think that maybe God is like us and he's getting fed up with us because we keep doing the same things over and over. And you know what? That's not who God is. If we repent, if we turn to God and say, sorry, that was wrong, you can be confident that he will forgive you because he is faithful and he can't deny himself. That is who he is. It's not that he wants to give us a license to sin, but the truth is that when we do, we have an advocate with the Father, somebody who is our lawyer standing before the Father, taking our case to him, and he will forgive us because of what his son did on the cross. And once we begin to understand that God will always forgive us, always forgive us, he says that's the nature and the character of someone who is in the kingdom of God, 
they too must come to an understanding that forgiveness is the cornerstone of Christian life. Now, there's one passage I remember that says where Peter, one of the other Gospels, Peter says, Lord, how often do I have to forgive my brothers? You know, uh, seven times? Is that enough before I can clobber him one? And Jesus says, well, no, 70 times seven, which means you're going to forget down the road (laughs) how often you've forgotten him. But in this passage, he says, if he comes back to you seven times a day, every day, with the same issue, will you forgive them? Now, think about this. These guys have just been told Pharisees are stumbling blocks. They may not be fully aware that Jesus himself is going to be a stumbling block for people as well. They're going to have trouble understanding that he has done all of this for people like you and me. But here's the issue, that forgiveness... When people that I stumble over, people who offend me, people who have mistreated me, misguided me, whatever it is, that the moment that I cut my heart off from them in an unwillingness to forgive and seek pure justice, the issue there, if I take it away from the hands of God, then I am going to be in my own heart, sickened. Somebody says, if you don't forgive somebody, it's like taking poison and expecting the other person to die. Because it will eat away at my heart. A lack of forgiveness can cause all kinds of physical pain, physical sickness. Um, It can cause a change of of my demeanor. It can rob me of my joy. It can rob me of a life that is fruitful and beneficial. The minute that I harbor and hold on to the offense that has been committed, then I am on a road of personal destruction. And to think that I'm causing the other person harm by it is a silly way to think. But when they were confronted with this, the disciples took one look at Jesus And they're saying, how can I do that? How how can I start, look at what has happened to me. Do you understand what my dad did to me or my parents did to me or my best friend did to me or what my wife did to me or what my kids have done to me? Do you understand what's happened? Do you know what's happened in my life, you know? Do you really expect me to do that, to forgive them? And if they do it again, to forgive them again? Who does that in this world? You see, that, that's the response. How do you react when told by Jesus, if he comes to you seven times a day and repents, you forgive him? I mean, after seven days, that's going to get old. <laughs> Isn't that right? I mean, it's getting worn out right there. And yet... In the middle of this, Jesus is saying that is the cornerstone of what it means to live with me. And the disciples are looking at that and they're saying, I I haven't got the faith for that. The, The word here 
that's translated often increase could actually be translated because of the form of the verbs there, give me faith. What you're asking of me to forgive these Pharisees for all the injustices that their lifestyle have imparted upon me, that's too much. How do I do that? They robbed me of my money. They put it into their own coffers. How do I forgive that? I haven't got the, the stamina, the heart attitude, the mindset. How do I do that? That's what they're saying. Whatever it is, Lord, I haven't got the faith. And that's the critical turning point between stumbling blocks and forgiveness to where he turns and he says, the issue here, you've touched on it, is a matter of faith. And that kind of faith is not just something that happens once in a lifetime. That is a formation of a lifelong lifestyle and habit of walking with me. You see, the, the issue of faith in this point, Jesus understands just like his, his uh, death and resurrection are coming up at, Pentecost, uh, at Easter time. He knows that the empowerment to be able to live like this is coming at Pentecost. He is looking at them. He says, you have properly identified the issue of walking with God in this world, dealing with the stumbling blocks that are bound to come, you are called upon to forgive and you can't do it of your own self. You haven't got the strength to do that. And the only way it's going to happen is if you are filled and empowered by the Spirit of God. It's the only way. It's not something that you can manage. It's not something that just because I think right that I'm going to be able to do that with people who have offended me to the degree that people have offended me and let me down. I remember the night when I got saved, I started to think about all the people, particularly women, that I had offended. And I started to go through them and, and I was overwhelmed by the extent of my sin. And I thought, oh my goodness, how, how do I tell these people that I'm sorry? I mean, I have no idea who they are, where they're at, or anything. And, and I was so overwhelmed by it. I thought, you know, they're probably struggling themselves with forgiving me. <laughs> and the issue here is that if I hadn't encountered the resurrected Christ who came to dwell within me and to empower me with his spirit, there's no way I could live the Christian life of faith. It doesn't work. You can't live a life of faith on your own. You haven't got the strength for that. And now I realize that it's not just 
a matter of placing my hope and my trust in Jesus as my Savior, I have to put my hope and faith and trust in him as my Lord on a daily basis so that when these things happen, I can actually forgive. Then comes this crazy story about a master and a slave. And he talks about service. <laughs> I thought, why do you talk about service? Why are you telling this story? And the answer is that he gets down to it. He says, once you've done everything that the Father asks you to do, it doesn't make you something special. You are not a victim in this. Lazarus is not the victim. You see, when we, when we come to the Father and he forgives us and he cleanses us on the inside of all of our sin and, and he and empowers us with his spirit, he empowers us to be his children on this earth to accomplish his purposes. And when we've done it, and when we do it, Think about our times going over to the school and helping those kids with their homework. And I heard some interesting things that they must have heard at home. And I thought, oh, my goodness. Um, I had never thought of that. <laughs> How do black children grow up at home and repeat the things that they hear their parents saying about white people? And I was shocked. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself that if I help these kids, hopefully that mindset will change. And even if it does or it doesn't, because I have done what God asked me to do, that doesn't make me special. It's not reward worthy. And the attitude that we have for serving in this world to being the Jesus that people are going to see, of sharing our lives with them, of helping those who are in need, whether they appreciate it or not. In the end, I don't get any bonus points for that. I don't get a trophy for that. I'm only doing what was required of me. And I thought to myself, you know, Jesus went through all of this and he didn't do it for any personal reward. He did it because he was obedient to his father. And when he exposed both the stumbling blocks of the Pharisees and he turns around to the disciples and he says, don't you become like that. And this is how you don't become like that. You walk and live in forgiveness and you serve out of an attitude of loving those that you're serving, then you have an entirely different approach to understanding life within the kingdom of God. And all of that is going to happen because you're walking with me in faith. And it's not that you need a lot of faith. It's not that you need an increase in faith. You need faith. And what begins, see, what does the Bible say? The righteous shall live by faith. 
That becomes the normal aspect of living life with Jesus. It happens because I'm walking and living with him by faith. It's not the righteous have done great deeds. It's the righteous live by faith. Now I look at this passage and I'm going, oh my goodness, what a, what a challenge that has become. He not only confronts the Pharisees and doesn't turn around and pat the disciples on the back and say, you're, you're great, you know, you're with me. <laughs> I've got you covered. He doesn't do that. He turns around and he says, this is the way you have to live. You know, don't live like that. This is the way you have to live. And he pulls out four things, these four things that are critical, key kingdom virtues. Know that stumbling blocks are there and they're coming. You work your way through them with forgiveness, an attitude of forgiveness. You forgive before people offend you. You know that when they come, you're going to overcome it because you're going to forgive. And if they come and repent, they'll get your forgiveness. If they don't repent, that forgiveness is still there. It's not going to be a burden to you. The third thing is, we're going to live by faith. This can only happen because Jesus empowers me and I'm going to be able to do what he asked me to do because he has imparted faith to me. And the last thing is, I am called to fruitful service in the kingdom of God. And the only way that I can do that is that if I am obedient in doing what Jesus asked me to do. And when I do that, I'm nothing more than an unworthy servant. I've got no accolades in this world. That's not what I'm after. My desire is for the Father in heaven and for his kingdom to come. And that humble attitude is critical in the lives of every Christian who follows Jesus. I, I have plenty of illustrations, I'm sure, where I've been haughty and I was, thought I did a great job, and I think, oh, Lord, have mercy on me. Uh, why did I think that I was something special when I know that if I'm doing what you asked me to do, I'm not anything more than an unworthy servant? And if I don't keep that attitude before me, I'm going to be caught up and, and believe things about myself that really aren't true. But everything that I am is simply because that's what Jesus is doing in and through me. And it's not because of who I am. And that keeps my attitude clear in my walk with Jesus. What are the things in your life where you need to forgive? Or what are the things in your life where you need to alter your attitude, where you think that you deserve respect because of whatever it is that you've done? Where is it that you need to say, Lord, I really need faith for this because I just haven't got it right now? I think those are questions that we are Christians need to confront in our own lives. And instead of just letting it walk past us, the place where we start asking those kinds of questions is where renewal and, and revival begin in our own hearts. And when the Holy Spirit reveals something to us, we can bring it to the Father and say, Father, forgive me for that. And he will immediately do that. Isn't that incredible? The minute that we ask, the words are coming out of our mouth. We, they came out in tears or they came out in, 
and I don't believe I did that kind of thing. And the next thing I know, I'm free from it. And I'm able to work on allowing the Holy Spirit to reestablish my life in a different way that is not going to cause that to happen again. But even if it does, I get to go back and get forgiveness. And he never gets tired of forgiving me. Isn't that, isn't that an incredible thought? God never gets tired of forgiving us. It, it's not, it doesn't, he doesn't get worn out by forgiving. Let's think about that. Take that with us into this, into this week. And if there's anything that we need to repent of, let's do that. If there's something in faith that we need to come up with, then let's ask Jesus to give us and empower us with faith. And if we've got haughty attitudes, then let's confess that too and say, Lord, thank you for letting me serve you in your kingdom. Father, we thank you for your word here this morning, the challenge that it brings, that you don't give your disciples a free pass just because you're tearing down the, uh, the, the invisible walls and barriers of hypocrisy, but instead you encourage them and challenge them in faith and forgiveness and in service. And I thank you that, that that becomes a part of our lifestyle as a result. So Jesus, we ask you to come and be with each one of us throughout this coming week that we too would learn to speak forgiveness even if it is a burden to us that we would actually use our mouth and our voice and call people by name and say, I forgive you for that. And that uh, if they come to us and ask for forgiveness, then Lord Jesus, we want to be free enough to give it to them. We're going to leave uh, justice and vengeance in your hands. And we thank you that we can walk free of the slavery to unforgiveness in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.